the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, I'm Paul Spain. Uh, real privilege to have you listening in. And of course, a big thank you to our show partners for their support to Vocus, Gorilla Technology, Vodafone, Spark, and HP. With us today, we have Will Hewitt uh, from HeartLab. How are you, Will? Good, thanks, Paul. And yourself? Very good, very good. Uh, nice to uh, nice to get a chance to uh, to chat today. Um, welcome. It's your first time on the show, so um, yeah. maybe you can start with a little intro of where you fit into this uh, big, wide world of tech and, and startups in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank, thanks for having me on the show, Paul. I think we've, we've met a couple of times now. Um, yeah, so my name's Will. I'm the CEO and founder of HeartLab. I've been around the New Zealand technology uh, ecosystem for a few years now, since I was young, fresh out of high school. I've um, been involved with a few different startups. Um, you know, around four years ago, I founded HeartLab, which is my primary, you know, the primary venture I've been involved with. Um, we're a medical device company. We build software for cardiologists and cardiac hospitals. Um, and we sell our software here in New Zealand and overseas. Yeah, really looking forward to delve, delving into that um, today. There's obviously a, kind of a lot going on in the world at the moment, and um, you know it's been a, a strange old time with uh, with, with COVID. But um, with what's happening in in Ukraine, I thought you know really there, there there's always this crossover. The threads of technology really run through everything that tends to happen in our lives and the in the world of business. Um, you know, it's quite hard to to you know, separate tech from, you know, from everyday life. It's so integral now. Um, and it just got me to thinking a little bit about, um, you know, the situation in in Ukraine and look, you know, what's the role of, what's the role of technology and uh, what are the things that we should be, um, you know, taking note of? What are maybe some of the unintended consequences that, mm. um, um, you know, can, can happen? Um, so, yeah, the, 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 there was... Um, just over the last the last couple of days or so, like maybe three or four days, we've started hearing more about sort of digital sanctions. So Netflix mm. saying, "Okay, no, sorry, Russia. Mm. Um, you know, not that they've got a big base of, of customers mm. there. They've got about a million customers um, mm. in, in Russia of you know population of over two two hundred um, mm. million. Um, but you know they've they've." They've stopped there. Um, I note they've put up a documentary on um, about uh, about Ukraine. I think the the two thousand and four um, mm. situation. There's there's um yeah that's been moved from Netflix actually um, and put up on YouTube. So it's available for mm. um, for free. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, Microsoft have um, have have put out um, a, a statement, and yeah, this one really you know caught my attention because I'm you know I'm just sort of imagining for um, you know a business wherever they are in the world that relies on a mm. Microsoft or a Google or an AWS. Mm. Um, how does that play out if if the the technology company that you uh, you know yeah rely on says they're going to pull the rug out from under you so I was kind of curious what does that actually mean from Microsoft um, and um, Brad, Brad Smith um, from Microsoft 
has has shared in a in a blog post online about it. And you know, basically, they you know they've started out by talking about the uh, and condemning um, the the invasion um, of of Ukraine. Um, and and then they sort of you know move into um, talking about um, their pro- protection from a cyber security perspective mm. that uh, that they've they've been involved in in Ukraine, um, but they they also talk about that they aren't going to be um, they're effectively suspending new sales of Microsoft products mm. and services in Russia. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, we don't know the full detail on that, but yeah. uh, you can imagine that could have quite a catastrophic uh, impact. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, it seems to me the sort of companies are taking two. There's two types of stances on it here, right? There's the, you know, there's companies that are, are, are taking the moral stance of we don't want to offer our services in in Russia, um, either because you know because we disagree with obviously disagree with what they're doing. Or because in some way, shape, or form, we might be used to support their, you know, their war efforts, right? And then there's the ones who are taking the slightly more benign approach of, well, they can't pay us anymore because of the various financial sanctions, and we aren't allowed to sell because of those financial sanctions. Um, so that's the slightly more, you know, uh, slightly more democratic one, I guess, and not quite as principled as some of them. But you know, is it? You know, we're a company that also uses Microsoft products, right? And especially, you know, especially in countries like Russia, I imagine they have more more businesses that rely on some of those older products like you know word excel etc you know having those services pulled is actually quite meaningful right you know that's that's how a lot of them are running a lot of their businesses yeah so when they talk about new sales um you know what the blog post doesn't go into is well what is a new sale um you know is adding some users to something you're doing already or is spending a little bit more Mm -hmm. on your you know existing cloud um environments yeah. is that a, is that a new cell yeah I, i'm guessing probably not um yeah. so so i don't you know the way i read it anyway um is that they're not sort of completely you know pulling pulling the pulling the rug yeah. out um yeah. but i think this is, is going to be quite uh, you know interesting to uh uh to follow and of course you know there, there will be um although you know we, we've yeah there will be some impact on you know positive organizations mm. in, in Russia and yeah. let's realize that this is uh you know an an invasion that's um you know mm. very much controlled um by Putin and yeah. it's it, it's not something that the entire populace is on board with, yeah. right? Um now we yeah. have heard over the last few months about um you know human rights groups um mm. you know basically being shut down in, in Russia um mm. and and media so um, you know, there's not too much of those sorts of organisations left that might mm. be there to, um, you know, um, serve a really good cause. But yeah. I imagine that there, there are going to be orphanages and you know all sorts of yeah. other um, you know entities that uh, that that rely mm. on technology and all sorts of things from the yeah. outside world. So there must be some unintended consequences that that come in here. Yeah, right? absolutely. I guess it's the you know. It, it's the it, it's the takeover. We're trying to are we trying to punish the population to essentially get them to disagree with their leadership, or are we trying to target sanctions against people which are you know which are the you know the you know the Russian political leadership which actually are the ones you know perpet, perpet, uh, you know actually the ones who are perpetrating the crimes here, um, and so it's you know it's an interesting distinction right because on the one hand you want it to sort of be 
you know, quite meaningful to the whole population. But on the other hand, you know, there, there's some very legitimate use cases and very legitimate needy causes over there still, I'm sure. But look, I think by and large, you know, it, 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 it's a it's a good reason that people are, you know, by and large technology companies are joining in with, you know, countries around the world and condemning it and restricting what they say over there to essentially see the message that they don't support was going on. Yeah. Um, and then sort of looking at other areas of technology, um, you know, the, the, the media, um, you know, has always leveraged technology. And, yeah. uh, you know, dur- during World War Two, there were, you know, mm-hmm. broadcasts going in and, and mm-hmm. you know, local languages into, you know, Germany and, and so on. And we've got, you know, stories mm-hmm. around Enigma machines and all, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it does does seem as, as though, um, you know, the um, the the Russian regime are, are trying to block as much as they can from outside with sort of you yeah. know, packages on, yeah, on yeah. social media um, channels and and so on. Um, and although they might not have the 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 same uh, approach as China's had with the Great Firewall of China, um, I mm. don't think there's there's probably too many internet service providers and and companies that are yeah. going to be saying no to uh to putin um you know anyone that just wants to stand in the street and yeah. uh, uh protest or somebody that wants to share a, a view that's opposing to the government mm. um and say hey this is a war um, yeah. you know that could be 15 years in jail um so <laughs> Uh, there's, you know, there's a fair bit of might from the regime on that front, but it, it yeah. does, does seem the things we're hearing is, you know, BBC's varying efforts and and uh, and and others are are certainly getting picked up um, in 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 Russia. Mm. So oh, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I remember seeing a report that a BBC reporter had, you know, the hotel made them pay the check early because they were worried it wasn't going to clear. It. Uh, yeah, it's you know, look. It's the reality that, you know, when you do such a, you know, you, you, they're doing an obviously relatively terrible thing, you know, that's the, that's the global outcry from both technology companies and countries. And it's just a harsh reality that they're going to face, rightfully so. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's the whole payment side with, you know, Amex mm. and Visa and, and MasterCard, um, PayPal. I think, you know, all of those are, um, you know, have, have said, look, no, we're not going to, uh, you know, yeah. facilitate uh, payments anymore in the in the usual uh, usual manner, um, mm. which which brings us to um, to crypto. Interestingly enough, mm. to cryptocurrencies, and um, you know, I guess that one of the you know one of the things with these sort of decentralized technologies is that mm. it gets very hard to control, and and you know there are positive aspects to that. Um, but potentially there's some there's a bit of flip side here at the moment where you know a lot of folks yeah. feel like well we don't want um, you know this to be the mechanism through which um, you know Russia is yeah. able to, uh, to to handle payments. Yeah, it's an interesting one, right? Because by blocking out Russia and you know Russia and its partners from those various payment networks, it's driving them to alternatives like you know Union Pay and SIPs, etc., which we've you know talked about earlier, and it's you know. It, it, it's an interesting time that's sort of, you know, threatening Visa and MasterCard sort of duop. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Some famous person talked about, you know, Visa and MasterCard's duopolies finally under threat this year from those combination of factors. Right? Yeah, you know, we've got cryptocurrency now, which is actually starting to, you know, if it starts getting a little bit more stable, and I appreciate there probably are some coins that are starting to get closer to that as opposed to maybe Bitcoin or Ethereum. You know, 
they, they become quite viable payment methods that people can say reliably put their put their money into. But I think that you know the the problem we're probably still at now is it's not it's not mainstream accepted. That's that that's true. Um, that could be one of the unintended consequences that you know that maybe mm. can could happen. Um, as you might see a you know a bigger adoption of those mm. you know of the of the cryptocurrencies um, you know for for better or for worse depending on what perspectives that you know that that you yeah. look at it from and there will be those scenarios under um, you know which um, you know various you know technologies um, might you know grind to a halt because of the situation or might accelerate at a at a pace, and we'll we'll come to yeah. talk about um, um, EVs in a, in, a, in a little while. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was one of the areas we were you know, we were discussing before yeah. we before we started the show yeah. today. Um, now you mentioned Union Pay. Um, they're they're a Russian um, sort of a, a equivalent, you know, credit card um, provider, yeah. aren't they? Um, yeah, Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Chinese. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so yeah. is their payment. Um, system that's um, got some similarities to the the, the SWIFT system for international mm. um, transactions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they've, you know, without forgetting, they're on a far, you know, far lower scale, right? I think respectively, they both do like in basis points of volume compared to the likes of Visa or MasterCard. And I don't, you know, they're a long way off getting deplatformed from their current positions, and if they're going to get deplatformed, I don't think it's going to be from the likes of Union Pay. I think it's going to be from the likes of either, you know, I think there's a lot of leaks in some of the central bank controlled cryptocurrencies that are sort of being perpetuated because that addresses, I think, a lot of the existing gripes with the payment systems that are out there now. You know, look, it's not controlled by central powers like, you know, to, you know SWIFT, for the record, have done a particularly relatively good job. Is that, you know, I don't think. Swift's on people should be hating on. Maybe Visa or MasterCard have been killing off retailers by a thousand cuts with fees. But, you know, Swift, Swift does a good job for us. Um, but there's some technical advantages. But also, you're adva- you know, it's still banked by a reserve with them. You know, what, I'm pretty sure they've got little hunks of gold in the ground, right, that say, you know, this right here, there is a government that's been around 200 years, probably be around another 200, that's willing to back that your dollar is going to be worth plus minus 5% a dollar in a year's time. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure on, uh, you know, how much yeah. of this stuff is, is, is backed by gold these days. But yeah, certainly yeah. there's, there's, there's an assuredness when, um, you know, it's backed by somebody, mm. and yeah, that's the, you know, that's the flip side yeah. of it. You know, pulled into, into, you know, a few sort of d- discussions. I spent half an hour with um, mm. one of the uh, mainstream media outlets yesterday on a, mm. you know, a, a long, a long-winded interview on the metaverse. Mm. Um, of of which they'll probably you know snip out three or four mm. minutes or something, um, but um, yeah, there's uh, there's so many aspects to uh, um, to yeah. these things, but um, yeah, there there is that um, yeah assuredness, and there's there's still a level of yeah. you know, anonymity that sort of sat around. Um, you know yeah. some, some things in the in the um, you know the crypto and, and NFT worlds. And um, you certainly see some um, some downsides to that, yeah. but of course, you know, we step back with what's going on at the, at the moment. Um, depending on mm. you know where you are in the world and what what you believe in, um, you know, politically and so on. Um, mm. You know, I think 
you know, most would would feel that there are um, uh, there are some there are some untrustworthy um, elements at a government level as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, there probably yeah. is no perfection yeah. on a lot of these things, is there? Um, yeah, it is. It is certainly large sections of society that don't trust it. You know, don't trust the dollar, whether it's a digital or not, that comes from 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 the government. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, on the communications front, the other one um, that that's that sits in that space, um, Telegram, um, you know, seems to mm. be um, seems to have become a um, you know a, a, a helpful mm. um, tool, and and not just um, you know not not just say in Ukraine or for the field, mm. um, you know, I think in in um, in Russia as well, we've you know reading that it's um, you know it's become a, a tool to fight the uh, fight the propaganda, um, you know because yeah. of it's it being encrypted in in nature, um, and mm. you know has has generally been able to get through to people. Um, so yeah, it's it's I know that one's I kind of find find um, you know quite fascinating when we when mm. we look at the the role of encrypted communications in World War Two yeah. and now encrypted communications you know have have gone very mainstream in the in the uh in recent yeah. years yeah i i guess you know it, it, services like telegram at least like you know they found themselves a relatively you know in in times of war like now russia and ukraine like you know they found themselves a specific place there where look there's a very good reason that you don't want people to be able to look at your messages um you know but a particularly good reason and i think some of the more mainstream providers like Facebook and stuff. I think they've started adding, you know, further and further encryption methods to make sure your communications are more private. But look, you know, whenever we access any online service, all of us are essentially trading privacy for convenience, right? And everyone just has a different, different, uh, you know, a different, uh, you know, threshold with which they're happy to, you know, happy to trade privacy for convenience. And some people, some people, and I'd probably be willing to argue, you know, at least 50% of the populace probably are willing to trade a fair bit of privacy in exchange for convenience. But then there's, a, you know, there's certainly the, the chunk of the populace that would rather, you know, rather use services that are probably moderately less convenient, but ensure anonymity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, quite interesting sort of looking looking in a little bit, um, you know, into the, the Telegram uh, story and um, the the brothers that uh, that that founded it and um, uh, you know they I think they were both you know Ru- Russian uh, Rus- Russian born um, and um, you know th- them themselves having yeah launched a social network in uh, um, in Russia and then uh, you know I think lost 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 control of that and. Mm. Um, there's yeah. all sorts of fascinating rabbit holes um, there, but it is, yeah, it, it's definitely, um, you know, quite encouraging to sort of see the upsides of, um, mm. uh, you know, technologies like Telegram and 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 how they can mm. be, yeah, how they can be used. Mm. Um, so yeah, anything else that you thought? Oh, I was going to ask you actually um, on the medical side, the sort of medical you know, technologies, Um, uh, you know, how's that stuff getting, getting used? Have you, you know, come across any sort of, you know, coverage in in your world that gives Mm. you, you know, insights to, you know, um, what's, what's been happening there Mm. in Ukraine? I mean, I just think of scenarios like, well, I mean, there'd just be some really simple scenarios like Mm. people needing some help and, and, you know, Mm. video calling somebody remotely, 
um, yeah. through to I don't know even what exists or what what's left operating mm. in terms of hospitals and so on. Yeah, yeah, it's a, you know because especially in those sort of situations, your real focus is on that like critical end of care, right? You know, emergency medicine. Um, I mean, I've seen a relative, you know. It, Companies like us, you know, we don't really play in that critical end of the sphere. You know, we're a little bit more, uh, you know, routine procedures. But I've seen interesting stories around, you know, companies to do blood delivery by drone, for example, right? Um, I know some of them are deploying resources over to the over to Ukraine uh, to support, you know, getting getting care to. In, that, in, those, in those sort of situations, I suppose logistics is your big problem, right? You have stuff over here that you need over here, but there's a big problem getting it from A to B, right? Um, and the original deployment of that was in, uh, you know, in, in Africa, where just transport logistics and cold storage logistics is, you know, infrastructure just doesn't exist. And now it's because there's some pretty mean-looking people between you and where you need to get stuff to. Um, and so, yeah, I've seen things around that. Um, you know, obviously, there's, you know, some of the you know, some medical technology companies have stopped exports into Russia, um, but that, that that were one of the first sort of areas that got hit with sanctions, I think. Um, but yeah, that's that's some of the more interesting ones I've seen. Yeah, and um, the uh, yeah you mentioned drones. Uh, yeah, interesting mm. that um, you know the the in Ukraine they've been um, they've been using you know drones themselves to you know to really um, mm. help them you know def- defend themselves, which is um, yeah. yeah the 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 sort of flip side of you know usually when we're talking about drones we're we're not really interested in how they can you know how they can be used from a, a military mm. purpose i mean obviously yeah. there are commercial reasons why there are those interests have existed um but you know usually even in you know the and even in terms of um you know ethical investing and so on you know these are the mm. sorts of things that come up of well, if you if you're ethically mm. investing, then you wouldn't be investing, you know, in a company that that does military drones. Mm. But now, yeah. you know, during this time, there's suddenly these things are flipped. Right. Yeah. Are, are getting a bit flipped yeah. because people are thinking, yeah. well, you know, look, um, yeah, anything that can help, um, you know, the 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 Ukrainian population out right now, um, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, we want to get behind that. So, yeah. Yeah. It- it certainly changes the calculus. I've seen a few interesting conversations on this online. So, you know, do, you know, does 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 this change the calculus on what's ethical to invest in? If it's actually supporting these people, you know, from the onslaught they're facing, you know, does that does that change the calculus? And I, I, I don't know I'm I'm personally not one who's you know I, I don't think I have the license to comment on whether or not you know whether or not that's the case. That's up for you know people who study ethics for a lot longer than me. But um, it's uh, yeah, it, it it does interestingly change up the calculus. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess it, uh, yeah, it's going to depend what standpoint you, you come from, and and mm-hmm. you know, to a degree, these things are you know are, are quite personal opinions. But you know, um, you know, a, a company that's making military uh, weaponry that's uh, mm-hmm. going to you know help or is, is helping uh, Ukraine in all sorts of forms might mm-hmm. you know might be of interest, um, yeah. you know, to people. So. Yeah, um, it's uh, yeah, not a topic we're usually getting into here on the yeah, yeah, yeah. podcast, yeah. but it's uh, it, it's kind of that's the times that we're in. Um, and yeah, so onto um, onto the 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 sort of yeah un- unintended um, you know consequences of some of these things. We you know we talked about you know maybe you know, new payment systems, maybe um, you know some some sort of 
you know, change in, in, in habits and, and an increased uptake potentially of, uh, you know, certain technologies, uh, you know, media outlets that are uh, maybe going to gain a little bit more of a of a foothold um, if they can't, you know, if they can't be blocked by um, by Putin's regime. Um, but there, you know, there are there there yeah, and there's probably lot lots of things that um, you know you you can't necessarily figure out up front. Um, but one of the things we we talked about before that the show kicked off um, was the the price of um, you know petrol rising re- reasonably quickly. Um, and and you know although we've got um, you know an electric car and an electric um, uh, moped uh, for the family, we also have a petrol-based um, car. And so when when news of the war broke, I jumped on the um, the Z app. Um, we tend to uh, pre-buy um, petrol. They've got a facility on there called Share Tank. Um, you know, and you can, you know, you basically can can buy your buy your petrol, and it's based on where you are. I think it gives you a thirty k radius, and you buy it at the best price yeah. um, at a given time. So, you know, I bought a a few few tanks of uh, a few tanks of uh, petrol at the you know at the time, um, and yeah, when I when I jumped back in, uh, it was probably this morning to to have a sort of a look at what had happened and. Yeah, you know, sure enough, the you know the petrol price has gone up, you know, ten percent, and I know our prices are you know a fair chunk more than more than Australia, um, and they're, they're talking about it, you know, just just keeping on going over there. So, um, yeah, there was I guess that's where the technology uh, you know come come in handy, um, comes in handy in that case. But um, yeah, you you raised the um, the point that maybe this is something that's going to um, help with the the yeah. uh, adoption of electric vehicles. It it changes at least in my view. It changes the economics of owning an EV, right? It, it and it's still certainly at the moment EVs are not cheap cars, right? It, although you know leaks and stuff are starting to get down to the point that actually maybe that is economic in its own right. But at least the higher end of the EV market, like sure. Tesla's, um, you know, Pulsar, some of those newer companies, you know. It, it changes the economics when you have a seventy thousand dollar car that you don't have to spend two hundred bucks a week on gas on, right? Which is a meaningful chunk of what you could, you know, put towards payments, whatever, on that car. Um, and so, the, like a second order effect of this might actually be, you know, the net positive for the planet of moving us away from oil based energy, you know, to using electric vehicles, hopefully not powered by you know coal plant somewhere, but solar and, <laughs> and wind generators. You know, similarly, you know, the lack of LNG um, and other, you know, lack of nat- natural gas, etc., flowing out of Russia, which powers a good chunk of Europe, they'll similarly have to either find another source, which isn't straightforward, or move to technologies that they can procure, can procure themselves, like solar, wind, you know, hydro. And those things take time to build. But, you know, and, and they'll certainly be looking towards uh, fossil fuels for the interim fix. But I think it's changed their perception on what energy security means for them, right? And actually, you know, being self-reliant from an energy point of view, ideally not on fossil fuels, but on renewables, is going to be a lot higher up the EU's agenda now and similarly America's agenda than it was, you know, just six months ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think you you, you shared some numbers with me before the show for, mm. um, um, you know, some, uh, somebody's sort of personal personal example. Yeah. Um, do you want to share that? 
Oh yeah, so my, my partner, you know, she spends I think like 150 bucks on gas a week, right? Payments on the Tesla is like, you know, 200. I'm like, well, you know, that's a that, that's only 50 dollars more to get a you know a nice new Tesla, and you know, I had to fill it up with gas all the time. Yeah, yeah, and look, yeah. I had a um, you know somewhat similar discussion with with a friend of mine um, mm. last week, and um, you know, he's got a family member and um. um in the in the Bay Area has had you know a, a Tesla probably since before you could you could easily get hold of them in New Zealand and um, you know he's he's always asked me and so you know he was he was asked me again on Friday uh, around you know uh, yeah. you know should I should I buy a, a Model mm. Three and yeah um, you know, I said well look you know prices actually especially with the government subsidies. Um, and not just on the Model 3, but on, you know, across the electric vehicles at certain price points where they come in for the subsidy, um, you know, they're dramatically lower than what an equivalent electric vehicle was, you know, two, two three years ago. You know, I think the um, the Model 3 was around 77K, that sort of range when it, yeah. you know, when it came out here. Um, so it's dramatically less, even though it has had a, a small, um, you know, upward movement in, in the last uh, last few weeks. But it seems quite likely with, you know, the, the varying uh, supply chain challenges and so on um, that we might well see the price of those those move up, um, you know, in the not too distant future. So, um, but yeah, right right now, the economics are, uh, are probably pretty, pretty, pretty good, especially if you do a lot of driving, you do drive long distances, right? Yeah, it's you know if you're if you're driving long distances because you know when we're going to start seeing mainstream adoption at least here in New Zealand right where we've got a really healthy used car market there are plenty of cars in the country we're not buying as many used cars new cars as countries like the states but when we get that sort of second or third generation of electric vehicles that are filtering down to where it makes economic sense for the average you know average New Zealand family bringing home like you know I think the average wage is like fifty sixty grand per annum right. When it makes financial sense for that chunk of the population, that's when it's going to start being more common to see, you know, Z petrol stations with EVs out, EV chargers out front, more EV chargers out front than they have gas, gas tanks. Yeah, yeah. I think we've got some really, really interesting uh, times ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, a little, little bit in the – well, it has been quite a bit in the news actually to do with um, – EVs and of course Elon Musk always finds an excuse to be in the news and he's always uh, always tweeting. Um, today's tweet that I noticed was just there's another st- uh, uh, another launch. I think it was a, was it a star? It was definitely another SpaceX launch. Yeah. Might have been a launch for um, for Starlink. Um, so there's a lot going on in that front. I guess that was one of the other areas actually tied in with Ukraine. Um, you know, is that they've. Um, you know they've enabled uh, Starlink service in Ukraine, but that's somewhat more complicated than what people might have realised. And um, they, yeah. they've recognised that by having a Starlink device on, um, the Russian government can potentially pinpoint people that have got them, um, that have got them on, and uh, and target you. So um, whereas that's probably not the sort of thing we'd normally be thinking about with um, um, other other types of internet connections. Um, also, that probably there's a, yeah, visually that you could be, you know, seeing you've got one of these dishes um, set up. So, yeah, kind of interesting there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was, you know, and encouraging to see the way that um, SpaceX have, have 
you know been playing playing their part and they sort of they sort of seem to uh you know try and contribute where they where they can now in uh in international scenarios like we saw with Tonga where they did some work to um you yeah. know to offer some some coverage there um I think it, it might have come a a day or a day or two late the fiber had mostly been repaired yeah. at that point but um yeah encouraging to see um so yeah we have heard that um Tesla have been given the go ahead on their their Berlin factory which well this will be their third and then their um Texas factory sort of you know yeah. opening opening shortly as well um you know this will be a significant increase um you know it, it'll take a while for them to to scale up Mm. Um, but yeah, I think we'll, we'll we'll we will see them in a position of being able to sell a lot lot more uh, vehicles in the, in the year ahead once they or in the years ahead once they once they scale up a little bit. But um, you know they've already they've already said that they're going to um, sort of stick to what they've got rather than launching new vehicles at this time. It's, it's quite interesting from a competitive perspective, you know, when I look at it, that they're mm. not going to compete with, say, you know, Rivian and others by entering those other markets until they've got sufficient capacity. And they're saying, well, that's not going to be in 2022. So uh, it does give those other players a bit of a chance to to move ahead. But competition's good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I guess that's really following classic good startup business methodology which is don't get distracted by multiple markets win in one market then diversify right and you know tesla's big enough now that they can they can win in a few markets but still focusing on your core competencies and they've had a they've had an interesting transition from you know having to go from manufacture to mass manufacture like musk's talked about this at length but you know building things once is hard but building things once that you can build a lot of times is really really hard right like objectively harder than designing something just to build in the first place um, and so, you know, they've, they've started to nail that, you know, car companies like Ford, they've had literally a hundred or so years to get down pat with manufacturing techniques. Um, and so I guess Tesla's now just going through its maturity stage, similarly how I'm sure like Rivian and uh, the other, you know, Polestar, other EV companies are going to have to go through that. You know, I think as businesses certainly go through different maturity steps in delivering their products. And, you know, where you start in the way, even if your product looks quite similar, where you start and the way you deliver it is certainly nothing like what it's going to look like in two, three years' time, even though the innovation hasn't necessarily been in what what you've produced, but how you're producing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's fascinating to watch um, to watch these journeys. And um, Rivian caught a little bit of um, a little bit of flack in in the last uh, in the last week when they announced some reasonably significant um you know increases in uh in prices sort of um 17 and 20 percent on a couple of their uh, couple of their vehicles um the bit that probably would shock those who had had pre-orders and that you know made maybe a, a, you know some of them would be existing tesla buyers mm. um were a bit shocked to find out that um, those price increases were also being passed on to them even though yeah. they thought they'd locked in at a particular um price now um, encouraging to see that that Rivian hasn't um, held their ground on that. They've taken the feedback and said, "Look, you know, we'll pass. You know, those are still going to be the original, um, the original price. So uh, those folks that have that have got an early are going to be feeling pretty, you know, pretty good about the the uh, the deal they've got. Um, but you know that that is, you know, maybe yeah, something." 
um, where there's a whole you know whole bunch of lessons there, both you know Rivian in terms of um, you know the impact on their credibility by um, you know by mm-hmm. taking this this approach this early on in their business, mm-hmm. you know how confident do people feel that they're going to be sort of looked after by them as a brand? Um, yeah. But also the overall EV market, if uh, Rivian are feeling like they need to do these increases, are we actually going to see this you know coming across? Mm-hmm. Um, with with other brands, uh, you know, we up for a period where actually the prices are going up rather than that mm. downward trend that we've had over the you know over the last few years. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting one, right? Because first on the Rivian piece, look, that's it's not irreversible brand damage, but it's certainly brand damage. You know, you know, when you're a business and you're a young business, brand is a very you know you don't have a long track record for people to look back on, and they don't you know it's not really a misstep that can be brushed away quite as quickly. But look, you know, it, it's not an irreversible thing. People still really like their product, I'm sure. People are still going to buy their product. But it's, you know, it, it, it's just a, it's a dumb misstep on their behalf, right? You know, brand is such an important part of what you do, especially as a car, which is probably the second most important, second most expensive thing people are going to buy and that people are going to buy in their lives. Um, you know, people, you know, than some, you know, the more mundane objects, people are going to look to and like the brand a bit more when it comes to buying a car. Um, and then you're sort of talking second about, yeah, some of the price increases we're seeing. I guess I'd imagine that cars are probably, you know, new car sales are probably going to be some of the first places that you see, you know, the combination bullets of inflation, um, you know, manufacturing costs increases, raw material increases, um, you know, supply chain costs are increasing, the cost to get your materials from A to B is increasing. Their cost increases across the board. They probably don't have the margins to eat them up as much. And there's probably greater appetite and room to be able to bake that, you know, to build in those increases into their pricing. You know, it's not like the price of gas where people look at it, literally see it on the street every day when they drive down the road, right? You see that price change very immediately. But, you know, price increases and stuff like cars, they can probably get away with building some of that in sooner. Yeah, interested in talking about the brand damage because you know some of the other brands, you know Ford and and others in the US have been in a situation where uh, you know people have maybe gone and put a deposit down on a on a vehicle with a um, you know a local um, you know car yard whatever whatever they call these days, um, and then there there you know been multiple scenarios in in the US. Of then, um, you know, purchases being being advised that uh, oh, actually um, we only got limited supply, and the price is now, or those that are going to get uh, a vehicle are those willing to pop down maybe another five grand uh, to actually get that vehicle, even though the 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 price from um, the automaker hasn't hasn't gone up um, yeah. to the the the, the, the retailer. Um, you know that those things have, have happened. So yeah, there's some there's some interesting damage there. And you know, to me, this is part of the um, you know part of the, the the change we see in terms of um, you know how how we buy vehicles and uh you know i know we've we've seen uh you know toyota and new zealand sort of change their model with with mm. how they do vehicles um but uh yeah you can see uh tesla's approach of being able to control all of that um you know from end to end they don't have another party that can come in and 
and and mess it up. They can mess it up themselves as as yeah. you know they might have upset them or they have upset people. I'm sure um, you know on some occasions with with the way that their their prices can mm-hmm. be you know just change from one day to the next. Um, and in the same way that that, that Rivian has, but um, yeah, the um, the risk is kind of uh, greater for the traditional automakers, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's a, you know Tesla's done you know probably one of the most preferable things you can do as a business, which is control everything from you know everything from the thing you built to the you know the customers that use it, right? You know, Apple is probably the king of demonstrating how having end-to-end control can mean you can deliver the most optimized experiences for customers, which in turn generates value, right? Um, you know, in terms of those dealers like trying to pull a fast one and make a few extra grand on the side, you know. I am sure that the uh, you know whatever the VP and whatever VP deals with dealers directly in uh, in Ford was less than stoked about the brand damage they're doing on their behalf. And uh, I think I saw some stories that you know I'm sure they the allocations cut or something like that. Like that you know as a business that's the sort of thing you just want to clamp down on just for you know in, in reparation. Yeah, 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 nasty. Um, without you know coming into um, you know getting caught by authorities as uh, or what not getting caught, uh, you know you've they've they've still got to operate within certain lines, right? And that's the yeah. you know the, the the you know the Fords of this world can't actually control the retail price unless the retailer is part yeah. you know is part of them. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. that that's that's also probably another thing and encouraging. Um, you know, a change of models there. Um, last one on the um, on the vehicle sort of, um, n- not even, oh, yeah, there's the vehicle sort of tech side of things. Um, I drove the Polestar 2 recently, uh, you know, really, really enjoyed it. It's, um, you know, uh, the, the closest probably to Tesla in terms of, um, you know the technology because they've they've using um, uh, Android Automotive in in the vehicle, so in car apps and and so on. And uh, you know I'm told getting you know, reasonably regular updates. Um, so some cool stuff there. Um, but last week we saw photos of the Polestar um, O2, mm. which is uh, a pretty stylish um, looking um, sort of ro- you know ro- roadster um, type you know, sports car. Um, and um, I, the point that jumped out in, the, in one of the headlines mm. was it comes with an integrated drone for aerial filming. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Every car should, every, every yeah, yeah. car should have that. That is a, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a unique selling point that not many cars are going to come with. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know how how they maintain and keep the the drone technology kind of current, or or if it becomes something like a a traditional you know vehicle you buy and suddenly the Bluetooth stacks out of date and it won't work with your modern mm-hmm. phone and the yeah, entertainment yeah. systems rubbish. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, it's it sounds kind of fun. <laughs> Um, now, kind of keen for us to delve in a little bit and hear hear what's been happening at um, HeartLab. Will um, yeah. you know some folks won't, probably won't have heard of HeartLab at all. So maybe just a bit of a bit of an intro. Um, it's a pretty yeah, totally. story. Yeah. So uh, HeartLab, we we um, so I started HeartLab around four years ago. Sort of on some research I was doing, and you know, hey, let's uh, let's try build some different AI systems, see if we can automate some parts of what cardiologists are doing their day to day job. Um, look, it was a passion, it was a project of passion at the time. It was interesting, could be fun. Um, and then we built some technology which automates taking certain measurements on an echocardiogram, such so ultrasound of your heart, uh, one of the most common cardiac scans, non invasive, um, non invasive, non radiating, so you know, safe, cheap, fast, common scan. Um, 
Problem being, you'll have a cardiologist spending 20, 30 minutes after the scan going through and manually reviewing you know, pages of measurements, manually taking measurements, writing up relatively mundane reports. So we built technology to automate parts of that, and then we started packaging it up to sell the cardiologists. But what we realized along the way is actually the thing that they don't like most about their workflow is they're using these really old legacy bits of software to have to write up these reports. Like they're, you know, they're having to go to a physical workstation or something like that. So we sort of said as a company, right, let's build the best bit of software for them to do their job every single day. Like how can we get you know, as much of the cardiologists say inside our software um, and give them a really optimized experience that comes from, you know, consumer technology experience of building the user experience, building with the user in mind, rather than building with a problem in mind that you need to achieve with the software. Let's, you know, let's take into account the problem. Let's build it primarily with the user who has to use that software in mind. Um, so we took the consumer technology approach to building an imaging platform for cardiologists, which we now, you know, sell here in New Zealand and overseas. Um, so we've been around four years now. We've raised several runs of funding from various investors, both here in New Zealand and internationally. Um, we've, uh, you know, we've grown, grown to a team of 20 odd. Um, and, you know, at a, at a pretty exciting point in our journey, we were you know, about to head up to the States, about to start, you know, just launching over there. Um, yeah, Fantastic. really exciting times for us. Fantastic. Yeah, look, I mean, it's always exciting for, uh, you know, for me to follow the, the different journeys of our New Zealand startups and, mm. Um, you know, Heartlab certainly one that you know I think caught you know caught uh, the attention of a of a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, and so you know really really excited to see where you go um, next. Now, I heard you uh, did your TEDx talk uh, in Auckland. That would have been um, what was that mid last year or something? It must all yeah, early, early May, last year. May I think yeah yeah, yeah May yeah. April. Um, and you know yeah one of the things that that caught my attention was just around the way that, um, you know, artificial intelligence is being, as being, uh, you know, able to be used in the, um, in the, you know, the process of those um, um, electrocardiograms. Um, mm. But also it's, it's not just handing it all over to the technology. Um, yeah. The impression I got was that um, using technology actually la- allows the, the you know the specialist to um, actually get more accurate results. Can you give us a little bit of sort yeah. of detail on how that you know how that how that works? Because exactly. it, it sounds like hey, this is a perfect use case for uh, for for technology. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's AI in medicine is interesting. Is one of the more interesting use cases in my mind. It's certainly fascinated me. Right, it's why I work in it now. And that you know, with, you're very much never going to replace the human element of medicine right? Medicine's quite aptly described as both an art and a science. I look at the end of the treatments, anything that makes a patient feel better. And if that's a placebo pill, whatever, if that's going for a run, whatever, if that's putting them on the table, cutting them open, cutting something out of them, then that's what you have to do, right? That's a, that's a treatment in itself. So inherently AI, which is, you know, glorified pattern recognition statistics, isn't going to be able to capture that full breadth of what it means to, to treat a patient. So you know, what, what we, you know, as a company and what, you know, my personal personal vision for AI and the sorts of AI we're building for doctors is let's build stuff that's going to augment clinicians, right? How can we do the parts of the clinician's day that they don't enjoy doing now? Let's take the mundane stuff and let's get them spending more time doing the art and the human part of medicine that they are either too strapped with time to do, 
um, you know, or you're mostly primarily that really, they just don't have the time to do. Um, so let's, you know, that's sort of the principle of the technology we build is let's build stuff that augments clinicians, automates the stuff that's boring, and then let them do the human parts of it. Well, I think that sort of speaks to the, just the volume of all successful AI medical technology companies. It's the ones that recognize that you're never going to get, or, you know, it is a very long time away, you know, to the point where we're actually going to hand off entire clinical decisions to machines. Yeah, and there's uh, I think there's a there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? Let's uh, let's bring in the the technology, and and I, you know I've heard you you've probably heard it too that the and that AI stands for aug- augmented intelligence rather than artificial mm. intelligence because it you know and and you know in general um, it's going to mm. be that thing that adds on to um, you know to the humans and the and the process um, and as and as a you know and as a helper. Um, so in that, in that four years, one of the things that we often see with startups is you might start out with kind of one, you know, one particular view in mind, this is what we're going to do. Um, but then there's often quite a few changes and, and pivots. How's that, um, you know, been, been for you? How much are you doing yeah. what you thought you'd be doing four years ago? And how much have you, you know, yeah. sort of changed, adjusted and, and, and pivoted so far? Yeah, I mean, our product certainly evolved. It's become a bigger product is what I'd say, is we realize that the problem that we're going after is a bigger one than we initially thought we're setting out to achieve. You know, so we haven't gone through any drastic pivots. And at least my personal take is, you know, if as a company you're going through a dramatic pivot, at least once you've taken venture funding, once you're a little bit down the track and you've got some momentum, you know, I can only think of a couple of situations where that's actually been successfully executed. There's, you know, there's a difference between a pivot, I suppose, and, a you know, realizing something makes more sense in a, you know, working after that. We sort of have the, you know, one of our internal values is, look, we're going to disagree and commit, right? Like, we'll we'll discuss the situation. We'll make the best decision we have with the information we have at a time. We'll all commit to that, even if anyone, everyone didn't necessarily agree that that was the best course of action. You know, robust debates absolutely encouraged and required to make good decisions. But the important thing is, is that you continue very do, diligently against the track that you've decided because most importantly is doing what you think you know doing what you set out to do executing on a plan as long as you can build the skill of executing on a plan and then are being able to actually be retrospective and say was that the right plan to execute against do we need to change the plan that's the that's the mentality i think you have to have as a company cool and um how how are you going in terms of you know how how ready is the you know product if people are listening and and uh, you know this is their their area, or that you know they they know people yeah. that might be interested in in your mm-hmm. you know in your tech. Yeah. Who are the people that should be should be looking at it? And you know, is it um, you know is it mature enough for you know for many um, to be using yet, or is that still a few yeah. years, few years off? Oh, to, I mean, look, we've you know we've built a reliable, robust product now that is being used by clinics on real patients on a daily basis. You know, mm-hmm. we're we certainly, you know, we certainly not a certainly not an old product. It's certainly still an evolving product, but we've got our fundamentals down pat. So absolutely, you know, if there's any the sorts of people that lose our software, cardiology practices, imaging centers, hospitals, um, you know, if there, if there happens to be anyone like that listening, then absolutely, please reach out. With you know, we we have a system we think you could be interested in looking at. Um, but yeah, it, we've, we're certainly down the track there. Cool and. Um... 
you're off to the US uh, soon. Yeah. Uh, how? Yeah, it's going to be somewhat surreal you... traveling. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I guess you've you've waited up and uh, decided uh, now's now's the right time. Things are yeah. things are open. You'll be able to get back into the country. Um, so, how much? How hard do you think the US? You know, mar- m- market is at this stage. Have you spent, um, you know, uh, much time focusing outside of New Zealand at this point, or has New Zealand been your primary? Oh, yeah. Um, no, uh, the US has been. You know, New Zealand's great because we're close to customers. We mm. really like the customers we work with here, and it's a good opportunity to test out your product before taking a large market in the states. But yeah, we spent quite a bit of time working on this already. This is really about trying to, you know, meeting people that we've already had discussions with. Great, great. Well, um, yeah, wish you all all the best. Um, we'll look forward okay. maybe to another chat in the future after you get back to yeah, uh, sort of drill in a bit more to the, you know, the full uh, Heart Lab story in terms of where, where things mm. are um, to date. But certainly, you know, wish you all the best for uh, uh, for that journey. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, very, very exciting seeing you, uh, you know, take uh, innovative Kiwi technology out out to the world and so uh you know mm. we hope uh, hope for very very good things well thank you very much paul it's been a great chat yep great to have you on the show um thanks again will and thanks everyone for listening in um we'll be back again uh next week and just a reminder um you know most most of our audience does listen in through you know whatever their favorite podcast um you know audio podcast app is um but do look out for us across the social channels as well um, as we are often streaming these these live on uh, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, or uh, or Twitter, um, and also been doing some audio um, audio sessions on uh, on some of those platforms. Some will recall, um, you know, we were doing things on uh, the Clubhouse platform uh, a lot last year. Um, now Facebook and and LinkedIn. Uh, uh, dabbling in audio rooms as well. So, uh, you know, a few tech discussions on those platforms as well. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Will. Awesome. Good night, Paul. Uh, big thank you to our uh, show partners, uh, Gorilla Technology, uh, Vodafone, HP, Vocus, and Spark. And uh, we'll look forward to catching you again next week. All right. See you, folks. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.